RC Top 3, a weekly podcast of the top three stories from Regnum Christi. Father Anthony Bannon dies at age 74. In the early morning hours of August 5th, 2021, the Lord called our dearest Father Anthony Bannon, L.C., home after health complications arising from cancer. Father Anthony Bannon, L.C., was born in the Old Sod, Dublin, Ireland, on April 25th, 1947. His mom and dad had six children, Father Anthony and his five sisters. One of his sisters, Patricia Bannon, is a consecrated woman of Regnum Christi, currently serving in Chile. Father Anthony felt the Lord's call to be a missionary in Latin America and joined the Legionaries of Christ's Novitiate in his sunny, cloudy hometown of Dublin on September 14, 1964. Father Anthony made his first religious profession on September 15, 1966, and his perpetual profession on April 2, 1972. He was ordained a priest on December 24, 1975, by Cardinal Eduardo F. Pironio, then pro-prefect of the Congregation for Religious Life and Secular Institutes, at Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in Rome, Italy. Father Anthony obtained an M.A. licentiate in philosophy from the Gregorian University in 1970, and his B.A. in theology at the Angelicum University in 1975. As an intern, he served as a dean of students at the Cumbres Institute School and at the Irish Institute School, both in Mexico City. Just after ordination on December 24, 1975, he returned to Mexico for three months, but was soon called to an extraordinary mission by his superiors and traveled to the United States of America on April 1, 1976, to serve as the Apostolate Director for the Legionaries in the United States and the Rector of the Novitiate for the Legionaries of Christ in Orange, Connecticut. At the time, Legionaries had foundations in New York, New York, Hamden, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., and Detroit, Michigan, which Father Anthony helped direct. On June 4, 1982, the Legionaries of Christ in formation moved from Orange, Connecticut to their current location in Cheshire, Connecticut. On Easter Sunday, 1988, Father Anthony was named Territorial Director, Provincial, for the Legionaries of Christ in the United States and Canada. Time was on his side, and the fruit of his faith and hard work helped the Legionaries of Christ to flourish in North America. Father Anthony also helped to start the foundations for the Legionaries of Christ in Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, and South Korea. While in the United States, he helped guide many young men in vocational discernment to the priesthood and religious life, as well as to future holy marriages. After many years of service, on December 8, 2004, the Legionaries of Christ appointed a new Territorial Director for the United States and Canada. Father Anthony had served as the Territorial Director of North America from 1988 to 2004 and the Territorial Director's Assistant for Religious Life in North America from 2005 to 2008. He was the superior for the Apostolate Community in Dublin, Ireland, from 2011 to 2013, and went to Mexico City in 2014 to be the men's section director for lay members of Regnum Christi until March 2019. Father Anthony participated in all the general chapters of the Legionaries of Christ from 1990 to 2021. He was also a member of the Central Commission for the Revision of the Constitutions since its inception in 2010. He is the author of three books, published by Circle Press. Peter on the Shore, Vocation in Scripture and in the Real Life, 1996. Vocation, 
Questions and Answers, 2001. Launch into the Deep, Scriptural Retreat, 2005. A page has been set up to leave your condolences for Father Anthony's family and brother legionaries. In lieu of flowers, please consider a donation to the Father Anthony Bannon LC Memorial Endowment to provide scholarships for Legionaries of Christ seminarians. What Would Mary Do? Maternal Advice for When You're Obsessing by Holly Gustafson Recently, I had a fairly negative encounter that terribly hurt my feelings, which, I'll be the first to admit, are very fragile and easily injured. And I replayed the entire thing over and over in my head until I'd nearly driven myself crazy. How could they say that? How could they think that? How could they do that? Only after I had lost plenty of sleep and wasted way too much time obsessing about what had happened did I finally pause and seek Christ's guidance. And he immediately pointed me to his mother and invited me to ask, what would she do? I knew immediately that whatever the answer was, it was probably pretty close to the exact opposite of what I had been doing and exactly what I needed. She'd respond with humility. Mary was perfect, so that she was never at fault. But I'm human enough to admit that I, on the other hand, am not perfect and, unfortunately, I make a ton of mistakes. And while I'm in the midst of madly spiraling over some perceived slight, or defending myself from what appear to be total falsehoods, it never hurts to take a step back and ask myself, is there any truth in this? Most times, if I'm humble enough to admit it, I can see how I may have played a role in the situation or misunderstanding, even in a small or unintentional way, and I can take simple steps to make things right, or at least better. She wouldn't try to fix things on her own. When I'm in the middle of a negative situation, I always want to take control and make it all okay. Maybe if I send the perfectly worded text, or come up with the best comeback, or just do the right thing, I'll make everything magically better, or at least bring about my own version of justice. But that wasn't Mary's way. She never relied on herself. At the wedding at Cana, she didn't go off in search of more wine or attempt to take control. She knew that transformation was not within her power or control. For that, she always turned to her son. When we are powerless, let us be quiet and let God act, says Father Jacques Philippe. The best way to fix things is to be still, pray, and let God do the work. But be ready to run and fill a bunch of jugs with water if that's what he asks. She'd surrender. Surrendering to the will of God was Mary's special gift, but to me, it doesn't come so easily. When I'm especially upset, worried, or obsessing about something, it's really hard to let it go, even in prayer. That's when I pray a surrendering rosary, during which time I do not allow myself to think about the thing that's been taking up all my mental bandwidth. As soon as I catch myself thinking about the concern or worrying situation, I simply wave the thought away and return to my Hail Marys. It might happen a dozen times, or as many times as there are beads on a rosary, but it's an intentional and active act of surrender, and calls me continually away from myself, and the thing that's got me all worked up, and towards Christ in the mysteries. Lessons from the Workshop of St. Joseph by Father Daniel Brandenburg, L.C. Part 8. The Lowly Continued Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Note that this station of St. Joseph's life is not entitled the poor, but rather the lowly. One last clarification is in order in this lesson from the workshop of St. Joseph. Some theologians and social justice advocates have developed a whole line of thinking around the preferential option for the poor. The phrase has been rightfully incorporated into Catholic social doctrine, as described in Numbers 182 to 184 of the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church, building upon St. John Paul II's definition of this option as a special form of primacy in the exercise of Christian charity. There are also erroneous interpretations of this phrase that stem more from a sociological analysis of reality than from a valid exposition of Christ's teaching in Scripture. If we would accurately reflect the Lord's approach, we would realize that God's preferential option is for sinners in need of conversion and for children. Jesus was known not as a friend of the poor, but as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. God does not transpose a sociological category of the materially poor into an elevated state. Indeed, the beatitude concerns those who are poor in spirit, that is, not the materially poor, but rather the simple of heart detached from things of the world. Material poverty does not elevate dignity. All the contrary. That is why the Christian neighbor recognizes a preferential option for the poor in the exercise of charity. Our service, like the healing balm in the parable of the Good Samaritan, can restore their dignity, give witness to faith in action, arouse hope, and stir up love. Jesus spends time with the materially poor, but if he had a preferential option for the poor, as interpreted by some, there would be no way to explain why he called Matthew to be an apostle, or why he spends so much time with wealthy and influential people such as Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Jairus, and even a Roman centurion that Jesus praises for his great faith. The time he spends with them is not to chastise them nor bid them to abandon their wealth, though in each case they become more generous in sharing it with others. None of this fraternizing of Jesus would make any sense for those who take the sociological interpretation, since these were wealthy and influential individuals. In the Marxist view of reality, they are oppressors who must be overthrown, not coddled. But Jesus' view is not one of social justice. He came not to overthrow systems. His revolution is not in the realm of external politics, but in the heart and soul of each man and woman called to conversion, away from selfishness, and into love for God and neighbor. Those in our own day who would pervert the gospel message by subjecting it to the political ideas of socialism make a double mistake. They do a disservice to the poor and also to the fullness of Jesus' mission. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed are the poor. On another occasion, Jesus reminds us that the poor will always exist. His mission is not to eliminate poverty, but to introduce us into true wealth. As a sociological category, the determination of poor is relative. The poor in one country would be considered the wealthy in another. The theological category, poor, has less to do with material possessions and much more to do with detachment and reliance upon God. It is this sort of poverty, made up of detachment, trust in God, sobriety, and a readiness to share, that Jesus declared blessed. Fostering envy and jealousy between peoples or classes, stoking resentment about inequality, or inciting revolution and rebellion to overthrow the hegemony of the power holders is work of the evil one. It has never brought about the promised utopia, but only further suffering. 
The work of Christ is to care for the poor, to do works of mercy, and to shift our focus from the passing things of this world to what really matters. The socialist worldview sees this as evil prolongation of inequality by making life more bearable under unjust systems. But for Christians, acts of mercy are essential to their faith. These are not acts of social justice, but of charity. Those who have received more bear greater responsibility, both to improve justice within systems and to exercise Christian charity abundantly. We are our brother's keeper, and we will have to answer for how we cared for our neighbors in need. For St. Joseph, the life experience beside the crib of Bethlehem provided inoculation against the utopic visions of salvation through politics or power. Devoid of either, his Savior's son lay wrapped in swaddling clothes, recognized by the simple and lowly, no matter their social class. This is the lesson from the Lowly Shepherds. For more resources, visit www.regnumchristi.org or download the Regnum Christi English app today.